Welcome to a special Christmas episode of Starts at the Top, our podcast about leadership, digital culture and change. I'm Paul Thomas. And I'm Zoe Ammer. Our podcast brings you interviews with leaders from the public, private and third sector who are using digital to navigate uncertainty and forge a path to the future. In this episode, we are joined by four wonderful guests who will ask to introduce themselves in just a moment. But first, Zoe, did you want to be be giving a bit of context about why this episode and why these guests are so special? Absolutely. Thanks, Paul. Um, We've got an amazing group of people with us today and we're really excited to introduce you to them in a moment. The reason why we've brought all these fantastic people here today is that this episode is very much a swan song for social CEOs, which was set up to recognise amazing people with fantastic presences online across the, the social sector. And we've got a great representation of former winners and also uh, judges here today. So we're really excited to hear their thoughts about about what leaders need to do now about social media and digital, because obviously that's changed hugely over the last couple of years. So just before we start, Zoe and I are big fans of the Off Menu podcast with James Acaster and Ned Gamble and their famous question, poppadoms or bread. So I have three questions for each of our guests. Um, We'd love it if you would introduce yourselves, pick one of the questions and give our our listeners a flavour of who you are your values and how you might be spending the holidays. So the three questions are, and we just need one answer from each of you when you introduce yourself. Die Hard Home Alone or Elf, Mariah or Wham, and Sprouts or No Sprouts. So you can pick one of those and uh, and off we go. Um, who wants to go first? I'll go first if you like. My name's Matt Collins. I'm uh, Managing Director at Platypus Digital and also co-founder of the Social CEOs Initiative along with Zoe. So this is awesome to be here and talk all things social media. Um, Jumping straight into those questions, which is all I want to talk about for the rest of the episode now, if that's okay, is going to be Sprouts for sure. And I don't know what everyone's huge problem is with Sprouts. They're one of the greatest vegetables. You saute them with a bit of garlic and salt. It's just truly, truly terrific. It'll change your life. Uh, I don't have strong opinions on Die Hard Home Alone or Elf. I don't get most of them, if I'm super honest. Uh, the complexity of engineering required to do the Home Alone traps is surely beyond an adult, never mind a child, but in any way, suspend disbelief. Um, <laughs> what was the other question? Wham or Mariah? Oh, Mariah, every time. I, I like the Wham song, but Mariah is just, is, is just pure Christmas. Pure Christmas. I'm going to go next because that's absolutely outrageous, Matt. Um, I'm Vanda Bukorska, <laughs> and I'm the Chief Executive of the Society of Genealogists. And, uh, you know, Wham! was one of the first singles I bought. I bought two singles. I remember the record shop in Chester. It was tiny. And I bought Wham! But I also bought Kajagoogoo, Too Shy Shy. So, you know, that kind of balances it out, really. Um, Die Hard. I can't bear Christmas movies. I just hate them. I'd rather just watch something that I like. If I've got this time at Christmas to do something, I want to I go, go hard there. And Sprouts, yeah, love them, but only ever eat them at Christmas. I'll go next. Um, so I'm Ruth Ibegbuna. Um, I am the founder of three organisations, Reclaim, Roots and Rekindle School. I'm listening to people's answers and nodding or rolling my eyes appropriately. Um, obviously Wham, Wham, all, all day, every day, every Christmas, anything that George Michael's been involved in, I'm there. So Wham, I think we really have to answer one question, but you know, everyone else is contravening the rules, so I'm going to do it too. Um, die Hard. 100%. And I don't know what the vegetable was that wasn't a sprout, but whatever it was is that, obviously. It's yeah. just sprouts or no sprouts. There's no other choices. Oh, no sprouts. You're going to eat no... them or you're not going to eat them. 
Not going to have them, not going to buy them. And I'm Simon Blake, and I'm the Chief Executive of Social Enterprise Mental Health First Aid England, um, and Sprouts, for sure. No roast is, is a good roast without Sprouts. Um, wham, for sure. I actually went to Mariah Carey a couple of years ago at Christmas concert, and it's definitely Wham. And uh, what was the other? <laughs> don't really like any of those um, movies, but if I had to choose one, be home alone. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your participation. I'm I'm going with definitely Die Hard. I watch it every year, and it is just you know it is a Christmas film. Wham! If I had to choose, and yeah, I agree with Matt on the sprouts. Bit of uh, oil, a bit of garlic, and off you go, Zoe. Mm, yeah, thank you. I feel quite hungry now. All that talk about sprouts. Uh, sprouts with uh, sun dried tomatoes or really bacon. Really good combination. I'd recommend that. And I have to admit, I am definitely a, a Wham fan through and through in so many ways amazing right so so good to see you thank you so much for coming there's lots for us to talk about and one of the reasons why I think we will come together today is also to consider how the environment on social media has changed a lot over the last few years so I wanted to ask about your various experiences of of that as as leaders what's your take on how things have changed Wanda should we start with you I I think it's I think it's interesting because a lot of it is very, very predictable. And so what I found is that being able to think a couple of steps ahead has been really useful. I mean, I think the the, the big shock, I mean, I, I'm taking us back to the Euros and to that night when the penalties got taken, which absolutely broke my heart. But at the same time, we all knew what was going to be coming out on social media then. And I think what really, really heartened me and what's heartened me far more about social media is that actually people are stepping up and saying, no, this is not, you're not speaking for us. And so we've seen that online, but we've also seen it offline. And I think that translation from online and offline to support people when they're being trolled or when, you know, there's racist comments and all of this sort of thing is something that I didn't see as much a couple of years ago. So I think there's, I wouldn't say it's even by any means because it just isn't, but I think there's more appreciation and more feeling that we can come together and we can show people our appreciation, show them that, you know, we are there for them as well. Thanks, Wanda. Absolutely. It feels like kindness is being valued even more now during the pandemic, isn't it? And you're right. I think people are rightly full of revulsion when they see this stuff happening. What's everyone else's experiences of how uh, social has, has changed over the last few years? Ruth? Um, yeah, it's interesting. I think, I mean, I, I'm someone who uses Twitter far too much, for example. And when I when I joined Twitter about 11 years ago, it felt like a kind of a bit of a little club um, that you were you were in, and you, you were either in it or you weren't, and and it was a place I could mess around in, and 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 maybe be a bit less of a kind of CEO in that space, um, and be my kind of authentic self on Twitter. And there's there's something about I think as as things have enlarged in that way, like things have become a little bit more corporate, a little bit more careful. Um, and and I find that a lot of the voices uh, are in the space are saying some very safe things now. It feels like people are kind of watching what they're saying, and and a lot of leaders are, are very cautious, or or they're just promoting their organisation or their cause. And and there's part of me that wants people to kind of just get loose a little bit and talk about other things they they feel passionate about. And it's always nice to see someone who you feel is being their kind of authentic selves on social media. It's a great point, Ruth, because I guess the big question is how can we all be authentic if we feel like we're under a lot of scrutiny? And and Simon, I was wondering how how you navigate that challenge. Well, I guess 
the thing about being authentic is also about who you are with and where you are, isn't it? And the trouble with being authentic with people who you know, you don't know, who have similar values to you, who don't have similar values to you, um, is, is what does it mean to have, a, have that voice? And why would you? You would never stand up in front of a stage without knowing your audience, you know, I think is, is sort of the bit. And I do think that's what social media really does. It's like, oh, you've just appeared on my timeline. Yeah, why, why is that? So I guess a bit like Ruth, it's very true. It felt, feels definitely like everybody has a platform, but does everybody really want it now? <laughs> you know, the, you know, are people having it because they believe they have to rather than they know how to? And I guess it's really important also to think about the different platforms, isn't it? You know, that Twitter is often the thing people think of when they think of social media. But, you know, actually Instagram, you know, the TikTok accounts, your Twitter, you've got Facebook, you've got LinkedIn. And so... Perhaps the other bit is there are so many platforms that none of us necessarily have enough time to do all of them justice. And if you only do one really well, you only play into one small way of doing something. So actually developing a niche and doing it well, um, I think is quite a challenge because of just how many there are. But the other bit is what people expect you to do. And sometimes it does amaze me that I can infuriate people because I didn't say something as much as when you did say something and it might just be that you you were having a cup of tea and, and not thinking about or looking at or seeing something so yeah I think it's it's an interesting space. Absolutely and and Matt have you got any advice for leaders who might be navigating their way through all of these questions? I mean for me I just I've just reinforced really the point that Ruth made in terms of the caution that leaders are are have and unnaturally feel and like I think it's completely understandable because what you've got is a, a situation where leaders as always you know reputation is incredibly important and the reputation of the brands the charities that they represent is just totally vital cancel culture is becoming more and more prevalent and so you find that their views and the things they talk about just increasingly get squeezed towards the middle for fear of you know saying something that's completely out of line because the views of the people attacking them are polarized to you know to both extremes really so if you the, the speakers i.e. the charity leaders in this case or, or all leaders will say one thing that's just a bit more towards the middle because the people who respond feel more enabled to respond in the most extreme ways because the you know the racist things people say the abhorrent things people say is all over the news so maybe people say oh thing I can I can just say those things in response and that's fine and very naturally then you want to protect your mental health I think as as a as a charity leader because you're just more overwhelmed by some of these things and equally it goes the other way the the Hans and um, uh, Isle of Wight air ambulance that were that were criticized for waking someone up when they were going to save a life recently in their um, in their air ambulance were overwhelmed with kind replies as well so it really is polarized between the kindness and the the not kindness but I think people are just kind of naturally protecting their mental health and I think I don't think I'd have any blanket advice that everyone should be in this kind of very public position that puts you up to high school and there's a real risk to your mental health and potentially your charity's reputation at all that's not going to be appropriate for for everyone in every situation but to consider those things before well Simon says just you know decide what to specialize in what you're going to talk about and where you're going to talk about it but those things are really important to consider in your own in your own particular situation I think I don't think there's any blanket advice that can work yeah that's great advice thank you um Fonda yeah, I, th- I think also we need to not just think about how we are sort of broadcasting or engaging, but also the positions that we're in. For example, if we're appearing in the media, 
then that content gets taken away from us. We're not actually, we're creating the content in a different area, but it's then being used. So, you know, appearing on Question Time, there was a huge amount of trolling just, just by the mere fact that I was on Question Time that I wouldn't get if I was on Sky News or I was on ITV or whatever. But so there are channels, there are parts of our job that we are supposed to be doing, but which then lead to, you know, these sorts of episodes as well. So we're, we're not as in control of it as we might think, I think. And it's worth looking at those other channels, really. Yeah, there's lots of different choices now, aren't there, including the, the choice to put the phone down and and walk away as well I suppose and on that note um, Matt you rightly raised the point about well-being and and mental health is there any advice that all of you have for leaders about how they can protect their mental health and their well-being if they're having a difficult day and they or their organisation is is experiencing online abuse? I mean I guess the key bit in all of this is is to understand yeah the nature of social media isn't it and to understand that it is polarized it is intense it tends to be intense for a very short period of time you will often get the polar view so as human beings we will look for the criticism and the challenge and the trolling but actually you know the support and the solidarity will also be in there but I, I don't think there is one single way and the obvious and very easy thing is to say you know take it off your phone don't have it on your computer get somebody else to look at it but we'll all have different different responses if I'm having a a difficult time on it and my actual response to that is to sit and look at it so I'm processing it as it's happening rather than in one big go um you know because two hours of, of of stuff will will so I think just each of us having our own strategies and 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 knowing who to ask for help when we need a bit of advice, when we need to step back and understand what's happening um, so that we're not dealing with it on our own. Yeah, I agree, Simon. I think there's something as well about knowing your line. You know, like, for example, when when the racism pops up on my, on my timeline, there's sometimes where someone might say something that's almost borderline and I will choose to engage with that, even though I know that potentially down the line the other trolls are going to get involved and I'm not wasting my time on that. But sometimes actually having those engagements with people who've got very different views, I'll say things that are borderline offensive, that gives me opportunity to be heard and to, to answer things. And one of the things I find very difficult is when social media kind of silences me or, you know, so I really sometimes enjoy being able to get into that, but also know my line and know when I've had enough and when I'm muting the conversation and being very upfront about, okay, thank you very much. It's been interesting talking to you. I'm now muting this conversation. And I think that also knowing when you have truly had enough and you need to just mute everything and pick up a book is important just because I'm leading a charity doesn't mean that I have to go through three hours of abuse about the colour of my skin right so you know there's a line in that if I find it interesting and intellectually engaging to um, debate with someone on something I'll do it but that's not a a line that I think people um, have to follow they have to find what works for them exactly it's been quite um self-aware and intentional isn't it about how we navigate all of these these challenges um thank you some amazing points there lots of really great advice we were going to talk now about your favorite leaders on online and we're really excited to to hear more about this um so Vonda, can we start with you yeah um i'm gonna go against the grain i'm not going for a charity leader so sorry um i'm dipping back into history which i love to do um and somebody that I mean, Ruth and I were joking before this that, you know, we only ever sort of contact. We, we have actually met once in flesh, in the flesh. Um, 
but we meet on Twitter and we meet in podcasts and we, you know, this is this is how our kind of relationship gets gets conducted through DMs and everything. So, you know, there are a lot of people out there that I have that kind of relationship with. And it's sometimes a bit of a shock when you do meet somebody and they're, they're real. But the person that I'm choosing is Rebecca Redil. And she is the founder of HistFest, which is a brilliant um, history festival for, I don't want to say ordinary people, because, you know, <laughs> it's not a big academic thing, although it does attract a lot of academics and popular historians. And it really is for anybody to join. So she's done an amazing amount of work in the last couple of years, just bringing history to, to the masses, in a sense. But she also manages to hold down a production company. She's a parent. She's also another fellow Sestrian, so, you know, a bit biased there. And it's just the kind of breadth of what she talks about. Um, she's got a fantastic interest in art as well. And it really feels that there's commentary on a range of different things. So I, I really feel like you feel that sort of force of personality. But also, she's not scared to talk about mental health and to talk about, you know, I'm having a bad day today, you know, what's going on, and, and to sort of, you know, get involved with some political stuff as well. And I think... She's in that position as well where, you know, she doesn't have to worry about the charity or her trustees. So she really can be authentic. Um, and she's she's really inspired me in a lot of ways. So she's my um, online hero, heroine at the moment, I think. Amazing. We'll have to check her out. Thank you. Great recommendation. Uh, Ruth, let's go to you next. I, I had a number of people written down Um and I've got lots of favourite people that I follow. Um, but there's one at the moment, and it's the most unlikely hero for me as a, a kind of diehard Liverpool fan, but Gary Neville. Again, I'm going outside the charity sector, but Gary Neville is a hero I did not know that I needed. And I want to use this opportunity to apologise to him because I know I've chanted things that I shouldn't have chanted about this wonderful man. I love the fact that we've got a footballer who's refusing to stay in the box. You know, he's got views on politics, he's got views on society. He's and he's bringing a whole different group of people into the into this debate, you know. And yeah, it helps that my politics probably match <laughs> Carrie's politics, but I just love the fact that he's just relentless and he's using his platform and he's using social media really appropriately. Sometimes it's humor, sometimes it's fury, but you know, at times he's kind of challenging <laughs> the government in a really effective way. And I, I just have to kind of really salute that because I, I think that. You know, there's, there's there's boxes that are carved out for working class people in society, and it's definitely not for him to have a view in terms of how society should be shaped, and he's and he's doing that. Um, so yeah, Gary Neville at the moment is completely my um, social media hero, definitely. He is and fantastic, Zoe, you're really, isn't he? You're really pleased again to get football into the podcast, I know, um, straight away. But uh, and I guess um, Gary Lineker before him in a similar kind of way, you know, unapologetic about sharing views and sharing what he thinks um, and getting those those hard subjects. As you said, I think the most the most amazing thing about it is getting it into the minds and eyes of people that that wouldn't necessarily normally um, connect with with that discussion. And Marcus Rashford, of course, has also done and done enormous uh, good, you know, in terms of mobilising with a half term, wasn't it, last October when government wasn't going to pay for school dinners and, and suddenly you've got the local you know, uh, chains and, and independent stores that are, are saying that they would feed children. So I think, yeah, there's a, a massive 
a massive uh, redeployment of footballers into social media, which I think is is, is really interesting. And as, as Ruth says, has a completely different audience there. I was just going to, just on the back of that, Simon, I was just going to say that when I think about my favourite days on Twitter, the ones that, that aren't political, well, this was a political day, that day that Rashford inspired all those different restaurants and food banks and it was just waves of goodness and kindness around the country and I was just watching I was nearly crying just watching it on Twitter and going look at the UK look at what we can be you know one black working class footballer started that off and we all just went for it and so they're the beautiful days on social media I think beautiful days I love that Um, Matt you were going to say something I was just going to say it's about time as a Manchester City fan that Manchester United players started making a positive contribution to society. (laughs) Now, honestly, Marcus Rashford and Gary Neville in particular are for sure, you know, society heroes in my my eyes. Like, as um, Ruth says, our values are are completely aligned. Like, Marcus is just so focused on the well-being of children in in a way that, you know, few celebrities can ever really claim to be. Um, Gary Neville is standing up for... You know the left, and in a way that just other footballers just don't just don't bother doing. They're much more interested in punditry. I know he does that, but it's it's not all he does. So huge respect to to both of them. It's um yeah, it's very particularly awesome to see. Thanks, Matt and Simon. Who are your recommendations? So I, I stayed in in the lane actually, but uh, could do lots outside. But I went for for Ruth, um, and actually thinking um, about why. Yeah, Ruth, your opening comment was about courage and about voice and about being furious and being authentic and you are one of the people who continues to do that and I really admire um, that and 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 value it because sometimes I think I wish that I was in a position to say it just like that (laughs) and don't feel able to for all sorts of of reasons sometimes Um, and then the second person um, I had was Polly Neat I think also manages and navigates way through being very um strong on the organization's value mission purpose um, but also you know all sorts of I, the thing I love about Polly she always reads good articles and when she's read it and she recommends it I know it's worth uh, having a look at it as well. Definitely I'm, I'm a big Polly fan absolutely and I, it's brilliant seeing how her social media presence has, has grown over the years. Uh, Matt who are your uh, top leaders on social? So I've gone for two, and rather than tell you why they're good, I'm just going to read out two of their posts, to be honest, and then you can just see for yourself why they're so great. The first is Julie Brerley, who's the founder of a charity called Pregnant Then Screwed, which is um, all about fixing the motherhood penalty. She did a recent post on LinkedIn. One of the reasons she's great is because she's big on LinkedIn, and it shows you what a great platform it can be. And she says, this brilliant woman has started a conversation that we needed to have. Stella Creasy took her sleeping baby into Parliament because she doesn't have maternity cover. She's not allowed it. So she has been forced to carry on working while caring for her newborn baby. In return, she's received more abuse than any normal human could withstand. The coverage of her stories forced us to consider the support that new mums are given. Why do we not have a good quality, affordable childcare system? Why is flexible working not standard? Why do we still have policies which encourage women to take time out of their career and not men? Why do we then give women a load of poop emoji when they try to do it all without any support? Why oh why are employers not more accommodating of the needs of their parents' employees? Her baby wasn't disrupting anyone. He was asleep in a sling. These strict boundaries between work and care are all completely impossible to maintain when in most households both parents work and they need to work to keep a roof over their head. No one is saying, fling open the office doors and let the kids run wild. What we are saying is, let's make workplaces 
all workplaces work for parents. To all those who use their precious, en- precious energy to call this hardworking new mum every name under the sun, why don't you channel that into demanding better for all working parents? So this is very typical of the kind of content she puts out there. So I highly encourage you to check that out on LinkedIn. I'm continuing the theme of choosing each other as uh, social media heroes. I'm um, choosing Simon uh, for the simple reason that from the very start of social CEOs, he was the uh, lead judge. And so it wasn't really good form for him to be nominated or ever get an award. And I feel like the quality of his social media content is worthy of recognition. And the most recent post was from last weekend. Uh, Simon, I hope you don't mind me reading this out, but you tweeted it, so I'm going to assume you didn't. Uh, 14-year-old me would have loved to see John and Johanna dancing in the Strictly final. In tough times, it is important we take hope and joy when we can. Gay men dancing on mainstream TV is previously uncharted territory. This is progress. This is a moment for joy. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I feel a tiny bit emotional, actually, just, just hearing that. That's that's just lovely. And I think what you've highlighted there in all of those examples is that mix between people who are able to demonstrate a vision for change and who also aren't scared to put their hearts on their sleeves when they ask for it as well. Yeah, a real sense of bravery, I think, from, from all of them in, in many different ways. I think with both when you when they say so much about what they believe and what they feel just outside of their their job. I mean, obviously, Julie's is connected to her job um, much more than Simon's, I suppose. But when you hear what they believe, you can just connect with them as individuals so much more. And I think that can only be to benefit everyone. And it also makes me think about employers as well, that they sort of do this with within their own remit rather than the the um, remit of their employers. But I do remember thinking about the football one, thinking about Gary Lineker. There have been several times when the BBC have, have put pressure on him. You can see that pressure coming down, which I've never seen actually from Sky. I might be missing it in terms of Gary Neville. But that pressure from employees and that understanding that employees have a voice outside of the organisation that they are uh, involved in is really, really crucial. That's a really interesting point because um, I've I've definitely had pressures from previous chairs um, as the head of a charity saying that what I'm saying is inappropriate or, you know, that I shouldn't be critical of, of things or I definitely should toe the line. Um, and for me, you know, it's it's just such an important part of who I am and what I do that that's just something that, like, we've really tussled on that because the idea that someone's going to monitor what I tweet and, and I've got set kind of lines that the comms department have agreed with that 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 in in some ways you know I, I believe that charities are there to to work in that that kind of liminal space that, that, and, and we should be pushing social good and for me that's inherently political so there are times when I am going to say things that might not be the party line um but I I understand that pressure because I've definitely have I've been hauled in over a tweet um and and asked to kind of explain myself and I've explained myself and, and, and marched back out again but I understand why people are so cautious about what, about what they can say. But I, I, I think if you're going to put yourself in that space, then there has to be some courage about it because it's a public space. You're stepping into a public space, a public arena. So to just step there and only give kind of pre-approved messaging, it feels like, well, that would be a bit of a waste of time. Yeah, and it, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it, where um, certainly in the corporate sphere, there's a lot of talk around authenticity and authentic brands, and then you should demand that from the people that work with you and for you. Um, and when it when it starts to grate, you then have to question, well, do we really want authenticity? Are we really after this? And I think it's, it's a crucial a crucial crunch point between those two things. But I think, I think it's one of those things that 
corporates still haven't understood that this is not a broad, this is, when we do social well, it's not broadcast, it's engagement. And, you know, we still see a lot of those corporate tweets where you just think, oh, you know, somebody's getting paid a ridiculous salary to put this stuff out, which is really having to be promoted and having to be paid for because nobody seriously would actually engage with it. And then you see the times when, you know, it is so out of step with public opinion. Um, and I do sometimes wonder about my algorithms because I see things that, you know, <laughs> in no planet in a, would I ever want to want to have on my timeline. And, you know, that is also an interesting thing about when, you know, I've just changed my role and I can see my timeline has completely changed. And so what, again, you know, what are we being fed and, and reacting to? And what is the echo chamber that we end up in because of social? Because we sometimes have to really go out there to find other voices. And, you know, what are we not seeing and what are we not reacting to? So it's, you know, it's another question as well. Yeah, I think that's that's right. And I'm really conscious that the sector can sometimes be a bit of a, a, a bubble within a bubble. Uh, and I wonder if any of you have got any ideas about how to hear more of those different voices and and, and get that challenge and diversity of experience i mean i think you can do it very easily it's just for what purpose yeah so yeah i could go on and follow yeah a whole raft of people so yeah i was a trustee at stonewall and there's a very public uh, group of people who are against some of the values and beliefs of the organization around trans people but actually I'm, I don't know, you know, and, and I could follow and I could therefore try to understand a bit more and maybe engage in some things, but I don't know that it would have been of any value for me or for them. Um, and, and so I guess that's, again, perhaps that's the next conversation because we often hear about our echo chambers. And actually, at the moment, when there's so much which is going on, which is fairly unpleasant, I quite like having a, an echo chamber with people who... Yeah, I know well, it have the same political views and, and, and solidarity and all those sorts of things. So I think it's knowing when you want to step into those spaces and for what purpose, whether that's about work specifically or whether it is about uh, things that you really believe. So last week, you know, I felt really, really um, horrified by the asylum and nationality. They don't know the exact language and you know, have have tweeted about it um, a few times. People are like, why are you tweeting about that? <laughs> I'm like, because it's really, really significant and important and rubs in, you know, goes against everything that I believe and and thought I understood about us as a country. And and yeah, you know, the challenges for the RNLI and people standing in front of their boats, and it's just, you know, makes sick to to the stomach. And actually seeing that and hearing that, you then have to respond. And um, whether that's through supporting visually with you know, donating, whatever it is. But I think there are then moments where you have to go, and I can't be angry all the time. I can't be responding all the time. I can't, um, I can't spend all my time on the phone. <laughs> you know, there's, there's other things that you have to do as well. So I think it's knowing when, where and why. Uh, Simon, I completely agree with that. I don't mean to make New Year's resolutions, um, but my kind of social media New Year's resolution is to real, really dial back on Twitter and to spend much more time on Facebook. And I don't enjoy Facebook. I don't really like using Facebook. But I've, I've just as an experiment to myself, things that I've been saying on Twitter, I've been putting on Facebook as well, things that I really care about. And the lack of traction on Facebook, and these are people who 
you know, I grew up in the same city. I live among them. I know their children. Nothing. Absolute tumbleweed. And then I can put the same post on Twitter and have hundreds of people telling me that's brilliant, blah, blah, blah. And for me, you know, things aren't going to change until that second group are also kind of really engaged or interested or asking questions. And I've definitely spent a lot of time talking to people who kind of validate my my thoughts. Um, so I'm going to try in, in different ways to approach different platforms, but with the same energy and the same vigor and the same maybe willing and with more willingness to listen, because I think I'd probably find a lot more challenges coming at me from the, pe- the hundreds of people who follow me on Facebook than those who follow me on Twitter. So that's, that's one thing I'm definitely going to be doing more next year. I put something on Facebook about Brexit in Cornwall, where I grew up in, in Cornwall, and uh, not a single person responded. Not a single person. And uh, just thought it was hilarious. You know, they just knew that it would have just driven you know, a, a bus right through friends and family uh, in really bizarre ways. So, yeah, good luck. Can I ask just a, a final question on, on all of this before we start to think about where we can all find solace on, online? I wanted to come back to that point, Ruth, about friction and where you may have and others may have a difference of opinion with say you do get hauled in by your chair and also the other one I hear a lot from leaders is oh I was going for a job interview and and the panel mentioned they'd seen this tweet of mine uh, what advice would you give to navigate that situation where you might have a difference of opinion with another leader where they're saying you shouldn't say this but you really feel it's the right thing to say it my quick thing is, is- I wouldn't say something that was directly detrimental to the, the, the organisation or the cause, I believe. Like, so just because I'm, I'm putting something out there that might be critical of someone else, I would never do something to, to do down um, the cause. And so I think as long as you can stand behind it and it's not something mean and it's not something, and it's something you've taken a deep breath and thought about before you tweet, think about the consequences of what you're tweeting. Like, so if I'm putting something out there that's critical of the government, I've thought about what I'm going to say if someone comes back to me and says, why, and I'm, I'm justifying, well, actually, this is slamming into working class communities and we exist to uplift those communities. So I think as long as you can stand behind it kind of intellectually and morally and it feels like, yeah, this is the thing I should be saying, then... Um, I think you should have some comfort in that. And and also just make sure that when you are negotiating your social media policies with your organisation, you work out if you've got a little autonomy, work out if you've got some autonomy, because if you haven't, then you, you, you can't be saying those things. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, you know, to some extent, it's about the organisation needs to know you and be comfortable with you. And if they're not comfortable with what you're saying, um, then maybe it isn't the right organisation. I mean, I've, I've had experience of of people assuming um, that they know what my views are and being told, you know, during a job process that, oh, well, you know, you were seen as far too left wing. Now, what I say as my organisation, you know, when I was uh, when I was director of the Equality Trust is one set which will be dictated to by the press office. <laughs> I've been a prof- press officer, so I've been that person, Ruth, sorry. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 it's also the fact that people will make assumptions on the role that you're doing. So if you are a very outspoken and perceived as left wing person, then you may well just find it's a bit more difficult to get a job that involves working with the Home Office or working with a lot of the government because people will perceive you to be that sort of firebrand person. And so I think actually there's there's a bit more due diligence that needs needs to be done because our personas aren't necessarily the same depending on the organisations that we're working with because we're, we're bringing up different issues and bringing up issues in a different way depending on you know where we are the, the audience that we've got and the organisations that we're working for and the way that we feel affected by events as well 
Exactly. I think that's such a good point, Rhonda, because if you're the kind of person who goes out there and rightly speaks truth to power, then it's likely that there'll be certain organisations where you're perhaps a bit more comfortable, you know, where you'll be empowered to act on that as, as well. So maybe we need to start to see this as more of a positive thing about attracting organisations and individuals to each other who are a, a great fit. There's a saying, isn't there? Something I'm calling it saying, so I don't know why I'm going to give it a go, but don't judge my story by the chapter you walk in on. So when I first, I remember I started at Brook Young People's Sexual Health Charity, 2005, six, and I wanted to do a blog. And I was advised about you know, the anti-abortion and anti-LGBT, anti-young people and contraception. And was this a good idea? And I was like, working for the Young People's Sexual Health Charity, if people want to challenge, they should do that. But what the person who gave me some training around social media, and it obviously wasn't Twitter, but it was that same bit was, don't be a one-trick pony. You know, make sure that you are buried. Make sure that, you know, even if you want to be doing the stuff which is your campaigning work, that you have some things about the things you enjoy and the things that you like so that people get a sense of you as a whole person. And I think that that is probably still, you know, really important um, advice because if we only use it for work people will switch off and feel like it's broadcasting and corporate and um, if you only use it for personal be really clear that it's only for personal and that actually you know you, but that, but there is a middle ground which is around pre-meeting conversations that you might have with people and you know all of those sorts of things so you just it's it's just a different channel isn't it to be a, a rounded human being and and I think that's really important for people to remember I think that's so true, Simon. And I often think of that thing, that very memorable point you made in that very first conversation we had back in 2013, where you said a CEO's presence should never be an extension of their press office. And I think that is so true because otherwise, I mean, why bother? I can just go and look at the press office feed if I want to see what's going on. We do need to bring part of our if not all of our whole selves to, to this don't we absolutely I think that's the really important bit isn't it that there will be a corporate channel um, but there is also our personalities and and our leadership you enact policies you know court policies and press releases and all sorts of things as a leader in real life and it's how you do that online um, as well feels critical although I'm, I'm going to put in a, a plea for all those press officers and people out there who have to deal with the results of you know a tweet over the weekend that may have been done after a glass of wine or something maybe I'm being very charitable here and then have to pick up <laughs> then have to pick up the pieces afterwards so you know sometimes it's we, we've all all of us who've worked in press offices have had people that we know just you know please don't let them go out and talk to any journalists because we're going to have to do a bit of backtracking after that. <laughs> the same could be said of, of letting some leaders at people in real life as well <laughs> yeah so social media is just a different channel sometimes for those things things to happen uh so let's talk about uh where we all go and find our safe spaces online now before we wrap up so for example if i'm having a bad day i've seen lots of conflict lots of difficult news on social media i will always go to tom daly's lovely instagram knitting feed because it's just beautiful jumpers uh someone being really sweet about their child and just you know lots of 
lovely things and just generally people being really nice so where do you all go if you're having a, a tough day or you're having some difficult conversations on social media um, where do you go to uh, talk to people who you know will provide comfort and listen to you and also just cheer you up Matt where do you go I go to WhatsApp <laughs> to be fairly honest with you um, because that's where you know what I really think can can come out and to the to the people that I trust the most I mean obviously that can be direct messages it can be emails and so on but WhatsApp feels like a really private space in a way that social media doesn't so when that comfort is needed and that offloading is needed and that real discussion about the things that I I really think and really really matter to me that's often where I go to to some some trusted trusted folk I also have a uh, a list on Twitter which is nothing to do with work it's all just kind of weird jokes weird Twitter basically um great ones some great insights along the lines of uh plus ones on wedding invitations are funny because it's like hey i want you my closest friend to enjoy this plus whoever the flip you want to bring uh so that just gives me a little dose of uh levity in the day nice and that levity is so important isn't it especially when we're all working in these really difficult really challenging areas and in a very difficult time and so ruth where do you go when you need cheering up online (laughs) <laughs> offline immediately <laughs> uh, I think because I tend to engage online in a very kind of political like uh, I get to a point where I'm like, I've had enough and I'll go to a book I've got to be honest I'll go to a book usually an audio book or I'll go to any kind of podcast that's run by John Ronson I, I love listening to John Ronson's voice and everything that John Ronson does so if there's something around I think he's got a new podcast series at the moment so anything with John Ronson or a real book they're my they're my happy places oh, or WhatsApp, I've got to be honest as well yeah John Ronson has a really soothing voice doesn't he I'm surprised he's not been signed up to do more voiceover work because it's it's actually a very calming really lovely warm voice that he has so Vonda where do you go when you need cheering up online well, I do go offline as well, like everybody else. I mean, I'd, I'd far rather be sitting there with um, with a book in my hand and a, a glass or a cup of something. Um, but keeping in the spirit of, of, of online, um, I'm afraid it's the cheesiest thing ever, but it is cats. I mean, you know, I cannot see a cat without just feeling an absolute glow, warm feeling and wanting to just, you know, snuggle it. So it's, it's cats every time for me. Sorry. Why not? Who doesn't love a, a cat video? Uh, and what about you, Simon? Um, offline as well to books. Um, uh, and uh, I seem to be, I often follow Ruth's, uh, uh, what she's reading is always next on my book list. So I, I, I've often followed that. But um, horses and dogs. Um, so I have the humour me dogs and then yeah, anything horsey. Um, but also podcasts, actually. And I think, you know, if, they are another form, aren't they, of uh, of social media, which we often don't talk about. You know, so finding people who um, will just have short conversations with people who we often don't know, haven't heard of, lived experiences. Um, yeah, that's that's YouTube videos. There's just so there's so much that is really good fun and it's depoliticized and uh, you know, and you can find all sorts of stuff that reminds you of being a child as well, which is also great fun. Nice. Yeah. And tapping into that creative spirit, I think, is actually really important for everyone as leaders, isn't it? Great. Well, we've covered so much ground today. Um, Paul, I'm going to hand to you. What have you learned today? 
What have I learned? I've learned that, um, yeah, I definitely want to uh, turn off a lot of the time. I think you, you've you've started to convince me to come back to Twitter, but maybe not until uh, until next year. I think I need to take a, a little bit of a break. It's not that I'm not there. I am there, but kind of uh, every time I go there, I get a little bit more angry. I also need to spend more time curating my WhatsApp as well. It, it's one of those things that just fills me with a sense of dread. So the fact that you all want to spend so much time there is intriguing me. I do have one WhatsApp group that is a constant source of, of, of joy and support, especially when my football team, Arsenal, is doing well. And that's the Charity Gooners group that our good friend Richard Sved introduced me to. Um and the the flights of fancy that that group can go into is something to behold. Richard's attempts to put smiley faces, for example, into his wife's food while she's been locked down with COVID have been something to behold um, and something that I hope he's sharing on Twitter. If he's not, he should be because it's just very, very good. Um, and I would also echo the fact that I think the podcast, I've never really thought of them as, as social media, but I think that's a, an absolutely clear point. They are and my wife will tell you constantly in my ears, if I've got my headphones in and I'm in the kitchen cooking or something like that, I'm usually listening to a podcast. Um, and Zoe, you, I think, uh, turned me on to off menu. And if if for any reason you're ever in, a, in, in the grumps, and sometimes I can be, just listening to those two rabbit on about food and poppadoms and, or bread or, or still or sparkling water can just bring a, a big smile to my face. So all those places. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Uh, fantastic discussion there. And I think we've learned so much about how the environment has changed on social media and how to navigate those challenges. Uh, the leaders who you all admire on social, and I'm going to check out some of those as well. Uh, and I hope our listeners will too. Uh, and also great to hear about um, where we all go for a bit of comfort and joy, uh, whether it's on or offline. So thank you so much to our amazing panel. Thank you to everyone. Thank you to all our listeners for all your support in 2021. We'll be back in 2022 with a new season. As usual, please send us your feedback. We'd love to hear about your plans for 2022. Uh, any ideas for guests that you'd like to hear from in our next season? And anything that you feel that you will do differently after hearing from any of our speakers from the series? You can share your plans, ideas or questions with us on Twitter. We're at, at starts at the top one or you can email us at starts at the top podcast at gmail.com. Thank you. and We'll see you in 2022.